start us off with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering your people here today to listen to your word here through Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I ask you that uh, this lesson not just be insightful, but Lord, that you speak to us through these words. Encourage our spirit as Paul is encouraging the spirits of the people here in Corinth. So thank you for this time as we gather. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 All right. Let's go with... So we're going to start with a little bit of discussion. What do you think it means, or sorry, what do you think when you hear the word self-discipline? Exercise. Exercise, self-discipline, or, or self-control. Yes, self-control. Yes, yes, self-control. Impossible to attain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Sorry. No, no, you're right there. You, you are hitting the theme already, yes. Self-discipline, yeah. Mm-hmm. Self-control. Discipline. So the difference between like self-control and self-discipline, like self-control is just like, I feel like it's managing myself. Self-discipline sounds like if I do this, I'm going to discipline myself. Does, does that make sense? That there's, I don't want to say like a consequence that goes with it. That sounds bad. But oftentimes you, when you like discipline a child or, or an animal like a dog, it's to help them avoid a certain <laughs> behavior. Right? Self-control is to almost hold them back from committing the behavior. Does that make sense? There's an action that, like, I will discipline you to help you avoid the things that you're doing right now. Right? And then there's control, which is like, all right, now by your own willpower, somehow stop yourself. I feel like discipline is something enacted while, like, control is something that, you know, what am I going to do? Like, clamp down on myself? Is that self-control? I couldn't tell you. But we're going to talk about what Paul thinks of it. Over here, as we start, I think I said I want to review. Good, good. A very quick review of what's going on here in chapter 9, because it's been a week, right? Um, in chapter 8, he was talking to the people of Corinth about all the different rights that they have. They say, we're free to do all these things in Christ. We're free to um, eat the meat that's sacrificed to idols. We're free to participate in the worship of Aphrodite at her temple. We're free to do all these things because Christ has freed us from everything. So we're good, right? And then Paul replies in that second half of chapter 8, well, you know, defines a bit for what Adi offer is for us. We use a, a traffic light analogy. Green light means go. God says do these things. These are good for you to do. You know, love your neighbor. I love what, uh, what it says in Micah. Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly with the Lord. Right? Those are all green lights. Red lights are all do not do these things. God's pretty clear. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not covet your neighbor's wife. Do not covet your wife's your neighbor's wife, manservant, maidservant, um, donkey. I always love that one. Do not covet your neighbor's donkey. Uh, all these do nots, right? So that those are very clear. Then there's this light in the middle, the yellow light, right? Oftentimes yellow or flashing yellow, seeing, okay, we often think it means speed up, but it means proceed with caution, right? And Paul's saying a lot of this adiaphora, this eating the meat sacrificed to idols at the temple, um, this is something that you need to be aware of. That when a light is yellow, there's someone following you. And if you speed through, they could be in trouble. And if you stop too suddenly, they're also going to be in trouble. So the yellow light is saying, consider those that are around you that are weaker in faith. He's saying, exercising your freedoms and your Christian rights should not be something that causes the, the, your weaker brother to stumble. Is what he says. And Jesus is very clear on that. Those who call these little ones... Um, those who cause these little ones to stumble, he's not just talking about children, he's talking about those who are young in faith. It's better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and throw yourself into the depths of the sea. Yikes. And it's not like, um, I'm not throwing that at you as like a law point. What I'm throwing it at you as is Jesus declares for this to be really important. Do not let your exer the exercising of your freedom be a stumbling block to those who are more immature in faith or new to faith and therefore causing them to sin. 
And the example of eating meat sacrificed to idols, we talked about that a lot, was just in the temple, if someone saw you eating that meat sacrificed to an idol, they might say, oh, maybe it's okay to worship Baal then, and I can eat the meat that's sacrificed to Baal, but it causes them to betray their faith. So to avoid those things. In the first half of 9, Paul says, well, you know, I'm not just telling you to walk the walk. I'm showing you that I walk the walk and talk the talk. He's saying, I have all these rights in the beginning of chapter 9. We highlighted that last week. I, I, I should be free to, um, you know, take a, take a full salary for my, my work here preaching the gospel to you, as Jesus says, you know, but, but I don't. Because I don't want to have any stumbling blocks in, in your path. I don't take my full salary. You know, I, I work as a tent maker to support myself. I don't take along a believing wife like all the other apostles do, so then you don't have to incur that cost and payment to them. If anybody has freedoms, Paul says, I do. And you guys are more proof of anything than I'm an apostle and that I have all these rights, right? He says that you are a seal of my genuineness. The fact that there is a church here in Corinth, you are a seal showing the fact that I'm an apostle. And again, there's that extensive rights as an apostle he doesn't utilize. Why? And what kind of right where we ended is right over here. Verse 12, he says, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. He's showing you, if I don't exercise my full rights, maybe there's something more to it here. Right? Jesus, as... as you could say as human, right? In his human form here, being perfect in the way that he was, being fully God and fully man, didn't exercise his full rights for the sake of those who were weaker in faith, which is, every, compared to Jesus, everybody, right? So for the sake of everybody, and so you kind of create a chain here almost. There's Jesus, who didn't exercise his full rights for the sake of his, those weaker in faith than him, giving up things for those who are weaker. And in this case, let's go to Paul. Right? Showing himself to Paul. And Paul says, I have done the same. I've given up of myself, my rights, the things that I have full, um, full privy to, right? That I should be able to exercise. I give that up for your sake. What do you think the next step is? Now you, now you can see, I've given you two examples. You're the next ones. You need to be giving up your rights for the sake of those who are weaker in faith other than you. So do you see how it's a chain? And do you see how this chain even leads to us? Right? So on and so forth, time and time again, sacrificing for the sake that are those who are weaker in the faith than you. That brings you to verse 19. It's funny. We usually read like a section. Uh, we're doing one verse right now. That's how big this verse is. It leads us to verse 19. I'll read first. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. And then I'll stop right there. So you kind of see this here. We build two major articles of Lutheran doctrine off of one verse. <coughs> and all, all the verses after this build into this verse, so don't get me wrong, but that's how crucial this is. Do you see how it's all led to this point too, by the way? I, even though I'm free from all, I'm free from all uh, the restrictions I've put, put up on myself and all the people groups we'll talk about in a second, all the restrictions they have, I'm free from all of it. Though I... I place restrictions upon myself so I can be a servant to them. So the first one over here, this is uh, Martin Luther. So A.E., that just means an American edition of Luther's works, right? So it's a big over here. A Christian is perfectly free Lord of all and subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all and subject to all. Examine that for me. Let's talk it out. A little bit of the depth of that. What's the first half mean? A perfect a Christian is perfectly free Lord of all and subject to none. 
What's that? What's what's Luther mentioning? Because this is all built off of the same verse in the same section. Freedom we have in Christ. Freedom you have in Christ. You are free from all and subject to none. Right? Any you know the the sting of death is removed. The the curse of sin is removed from you. You are free, Lord of all. The freedom given you in Christ. There's no longer a chain. You know the, the you know amazing grace. My chains are gone. I've been set free. Everything there. Then this last one. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all and subject to all. Now, how does that flip? That sounds like Christ. Well, yeah. He's a servant to all. And yep. so, as our example, mm-hmm. then we should be a servant to all. Absolutely, yeah. And what Paul's talking about, and as this all builds into this verse, um, as Lutherans, something we do really well, you hear Pastor Dinger talk about this, is we live in this state of tension. And, and we, I think as good as any denomination, if not better than any denomination, we acknowledge the tension all the time. There is a tension that you are free in all things in Christ, yet at the same time I, I'm bound because as Christ was a servant to all, I want to, and subject to all, he placed himself underneath everybody, you know, washing the feet of the, the disciples, going to the cross for our sake, coming healing, cr- lines being created to come and see him, you know, subjecting himself to all people, the ridicule, the humiliation. For our sake, in the same way as we follow Christ, mm-hmm. we follow in the same vein, right? Like I said, like this ongoing chain that just keeps linking together. Mm-hmm. So we have this tension of, yeah, I'm free. So I, it's like I can live in a state without fear, yet I will subject myself to some of these states because I'm a follower of Christ. There's always, again, that tension. Um, another way it's often talked about is sinner and saint, right? Mm-hmm. I'm simultaneously a sinner and a saint. I know that if you, if you see Chris on watching the football game last night and I was rooting for uh, not the Eagles, I was a, I was a sinner. I was not very happy. My bracket is busted. Uh, I'm not very happy. I'm saying, uh, Jalen, you know, and you, wish, it, you, you should never wish for somebody to be, get hurt, but Jalen Hurts is hurting me. And I'm like, all right. But, but he says he's injured, so maybe he'll tweak something and maybe he needs a breather. No, no, nothing for me. Right? That's a sinful thought. I shouldn't yeah. wish for Jalen Hurts to get hurt. And yet there I am living in this tension. I'm a sinner, yet, yet in, the, in the eyes and because of Christ, I'm a saint. Right? My, my, all my sins have been, they were once crimson, but they're now made white as snow. You know, everything there. So we live in that. This next one, the formula of Concord, the solid declaration, Article 10, verse 9. I know, I reference. I do know these things on occasion. Whenever I pull these up, Jonathan's like, I forget you know this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So this one, um, I'll read it out loud. The community of God in every place and every time has, according to its circumstances, the good, right, power, and authority to change and decrease or increase ceremonies that are truly adiaphora. I'm going to pause right there. So consider your worship service for a second. If you've been, um, if you've done what I call the hat trick, meaning you've gone to 8.30, you've gone to 11, and you've gone to 5 o'clock, right? How different are they? Different. Very different, right? Yeah. Even 8.30 and 11 are different, but if you yeah. go to 5 o'clock, you'll be like, whoa, yeah. this is a big change. And you know why? The things that you see changed are truly adiaphora. They're a yellow light. They're go, and they're, you can or you don't have to. It's neither, the word literally means neither forbidden nor commanded. Uh, so neither is forbidden nor commanded. So we can change all those things in the good, right, power, and authority to change, decrease, increase ceremonies, anything like that. If you go to maybe a, a different church somewhere else, you could say, when I, when I say conservative, that doesn't mean politically. When I'm saying conservative is like ultra-ritualistic. 
from the bare bones from the early, 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 early church. So You'll see them with, huh? So Orthodox. Orthodox, yes. So, uh, but that also is a loaded word. <laughs> but let's say um, I go and I have a censer, right? If you know what that is, it's a big ball and it's full of incense. And, and we chant as we come in and there's a processional cross and there are literally bells that ring, you know, the toll service. It's cool stuff. But you know what? Like all that that happens and it's like you can't have worship without it. Yes, you can. Like, that's truly Adiaphora. It's cool, um, but it probably wouldn't fly. People have, like, asthma now. Like, that's a big thing with, right. with the incense. It's like, okay, all these different elements that go through it. So we continue. They should do this thoughtfully and without giving offense in an orderly and appropriate way whenever it is considered most profitable, most beneficial, and best for good order. Christian discipline, and the church's edification. Furthermore, we can yield and give in with good conscience to weak in faith in such outward adiaphora. So you got that last part. This brings us back again, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. For those weaker in faith, censors, you might hear the reference smells and bells, right? <laughs> right? Some smells and bells can be a great, great way, great building of your faith, really help yeah. you experience the reverence of the moment. Uh, for someone that has no idea what's going on, it can really put them off. It's just like, hold on, you know, I'm coughing, I don't get when to stand, I don't get when to sit, I'm in Grandma Schmidt's seat, and she's upset with me, and I'm already, like, sweating bullets here. I should probably just go. I should probably just leave, right? It's, it's all those kind of moments. This outward adiaphora can be changed depending on the moment, the generation, the people that are there. Um, you'll go to some places where they'll... I, I tell Jonathan off, and he's like, oh, man, I, I preached for 27 minutes that day. I'm like, man, I'm... Like, when I'm listening, that's, I'm just warmed up. Like, let's go another 25. I love a good, long sermon. That's not everybody else's feel, right? Sometimes you're getting to 20, you, you get past 15, and <laughs> I've been up there, so don't feel bad if this is anybody in this room. It's not. Uh, but I've been up there, and you're preaching. You see right at the 15-minute mark. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I get up there and I say good morning church and bam someone's already gone uh, which is, which is it's not him <laughs> don't look at him <laughs> uh, but there are, there are moments where you're just like <sighs> maybe there are different styles and different ways to engage people um, throughout not just generationally but also in like worship language we talk about that in the initial church and in the early church especially in the time of uh, Judaism that was prominent in the time of Jesus, right? In Old Testament, there was no five o'clock service. There was, there was one way you did things, and this was the only way that you learned and the only way it was taught. And Luther's here is telling us, like, hey, let's make sure we don't become Pharisee and say that there's only one way. Mm -hmm. Just like the irony of Paul being a former Pharisee now is about to tell us. He's like, hey, I'll read that again. For though I am free from all, I have made myself servant, uh, a servant to all that I might win more of them. What is his purpose behind changing any worship style, behind all the people he's about to adapt to? What's his purpose? To win more people. To win more people, right? right? Everything Paul does is for the sake of the gospel. Right. And that brings us into this part. So I'm read 20 through 23 for me. No pressure. No pressure. James is like, I would, but I can't see. Thanks, Van. Take it. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, mm -hmm. though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, 
so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Thank you. So what Paul does in 20 through 23 is he takes verse 19 and explains himself. So if you look at, if you go between 19 and 20 through 23, 20 through 23 is one very long verse 19. Because again, he tells you in the beginning, although I'm free to all, I've made myself a servant to all. Who has he made himself a servant to? You see all that, right? We have the, the, the Jews, the Gentiles, and the Corinthians, right? And over here, you see it highlighted through everything, right? The Jews in Acts chapter 13, you can go back to that if you want to read that, but the way that he goes to the Jew first, right? He always says, I come for the Jew first, and then I go to the Gentile, and then eventually he says, you know what? I'm done. I've been coming to you guys first, and all I do is get my, my butt kicked, so no longer know that I'm the apostle for the Gentiles. It moves on, that's what you see in Acts chapter 17 over here, right? To the, now, I, now I go forth to the Gentiles over here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24 through 27, the next section, you'll see how he makes himself like a Corinthian. He, he, he uses a reference that's very specific to them, like we've been building on this whole time. When I explained, like, what did it mean to be in, in Corinth at that time? Um, in Corinth, like, that was a place of debauchery, but also a place that was very rich. It was a place that had two ports. Um, it was a place that had uh, the worship of Aphrodite and Apollos that was commonly associated with uh, prostitution, where prostitutes, you'd go up to the temple to worship them, or they would come down to you at night and knock on your door and say, we didn't see you. Would you like to worship today? And it's like, sure, they come into your house. Um, but there's all these ideas, but the big thing also, it being such a major city, probably one of the biggest cities in, in all of the world at that time, was they had this thing called the Ismithian Games, the Smithian Games, and we'll talk about that in 24 through 27. It's like second only to the Olympics at this time. So the Olympics were every four years. You know how we do the Olympics and the Winter Olympics? Like every two years it's the Winter Olympics and another two years it's the Summer Olympics. Mm -hmm. They did the same thing but no Winter Olympics. It was the Ismithian Games. <coughs> and that took place in Corinth at that time. So a huge, huge thing. Um, and as I mentioned over here, this isn't new. Paul isn't like the genius that came up with this idea. Let's, it, Jesus does it in Mark chapter 7. I think that's the Phoenician woman. He goes to her, John chapter 4, that's the woman at the well, right, the Samaritan, and he talks to her, and she's like, I'm a Samaritan. Why would a Jew ever ask to drink of a Samaritan woman over there? But he also eats and drinks with tax collectors several times. Could someone go to Luke chapter 5? Luke chapter 5 for me. Oh, as you go to Luke chapter 5, someone will also find this. I wrote, I wrote down what these references were. That's probably a good idea for me, right? Um, in uh, Acts 17, so he's addressing Hellenistic Gentiles on the Areopagus. Arap uh, sorry, I'm saying that wrong. I know um, Areopagus in Athens, where instead he draws on the knowledge of Greek poetry and philosophy. Right? Areopagus, thank you. I knew how to say it. It just, I didn't, I typed it and there's a little squiggly red line under it and I'm like, <laughs> Right, so we have that instance there. Exactly. The kids, I'm not wrong. It's the children today, they're wrong. All right, can someone read uh, Luke chapter 5, 29 to 32 for me? Thanks, Ken. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Hear this part. This is the best part. And Jesus answered them, 
Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have come, I have, a, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Thank you. Right? Mm. So it's another example that's set by Jesus. Now, how does that relate to Paul's purpose? What Jesus said right there, how does that relate to Paul's purpose? Not, not connect the two. Well, it brings in more people, uh, particularly mm-hmm. sinner people who feel guilt and they feel they're not worthy yep, yep. of uh, being included. Yep, First, verse 23. Verse 23. I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in, in its blessings, right? Why, why would, first off, I mean, you could... That section where he's with Levi, who's Matthew, right, and tax collectors. Let's rewind to, like, the birth of Christ. Like, why would God come in the, in form, of, in the form of a human in a dirty old stable? Which, when, when I say that, like, we kind of romanticize it a little bit. Now that we're, like, away from Christmas, allow me not to romanticize it. Like, animals poop in the stable. Like, it's pretty gross, guys. <laughs> I've heard, actually, someone discuss this. Yeah? Um, Chad Bird talked about mm-hmm. his on his podcast on his TikTok page, said the actual Hebrew words for manger don't mean a stable. It's a house. In the lower level of the house, they would store, you know, the animals, and mm-hmm. people would live upstairs. Mm-hmm. So the room that at the end wasn't like a lodging or anything. It was just yeah. a house that they were scheduled to go to where there were rooms. Mm. And when they got there, somebody had taken the room that they were going to use so they just were in the common room of the house downstairs with all the animals, all the animals, mm-hmm. and everything else. Oh, okay. So it wasn't, I read a, that it wasn't like a barn. <laughs> sure, sure. And they weren't going to, you know, like a roadway in or something. Uh-huh. Like, you know, stop the bar and then go to your room. <laughs> Interesting. Like yeah, yeah. I have to do a little bit more research before I, I'd be like, absolutely. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, but an yeah, interesting but point. But it was a very interesting point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bring up on that. But. Yeah. Yeah. So it's no. But to get to the point of that, why subject yourself to that much? Even just to that. Even just yeah. there. Pause. Period. Right there. The beginning of Jesus' life. His first few hours. Why would God even subject Himself that far? So we can relate. I do it for. Um, I do it for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them its blessings. Right. To connect with them. It, it, well, to connect. We have it time and time again. Why would Jesus? Um, <clears throat> Well, you know, taking the next step. Why, why travel on foot? Why have no house? Why have no place where you can rest your head? Why would you do it? Well, I do it, so I, I do it for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them its blessings. Okay, well, well why, why allow yourself to be spit on, to be humiliated? Why put yourself through a trial? Why allow people to, to corner you, to, to be upset with you, angry with you? Why, why even heal people that, you know, without being mean, like, are kind of gross? Leprosy is not a pleasant thing. It's, you know, if you've ever had, like, an open sore, it smells. It's like, that's unpleasant. Why would the king of kings, lord of lords, prince of peace, the creator of all things, subject himself to some stinky, sore people? I do it for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. So do you kind of get the idea? It's, it, no matter how far away we may get from it, everything's modeled after Christ. You know, if you kind of build, talking about these links in the chain, you start with Christ, Paul, you know, Starts with Christ. He models himself um, for Paul. Paul models himself off of him, and now he's saying, Corinthian church, model yourself off of me for the sake of the lesser, those who are weaker mm-hmm. in faith. And it goes on time and time and time again. You know, Chris, what 
I, I, it's in my head what I love about Jesus is he meets people where they're at. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, yeah. And a lot of times it's at their lowest place, you know, the place where they finally give up and he is there for him, mm-hmm. them every time, you know. Oh, yeah. So it's just nice how Paul words that in relation to other people to kind of meet them where they're yeah. at, you know. And, and where, where you're saying here, and I'm with you, but... Some people at their lowest low doesn't look the same as everybody else's. Does, yeah. does that make right. sense? People mm-hmm. say, you know, I'm not suffering and, and, and no home and eating expired soup. You know, I don't have, like, that crazy story. You don't need to have that crazy story. Oftentimes, I tell people it comes to us when we feel a lack of purpose mm-hmm. in life. It's like I need, to be, I need to be redeemed on why I get out of bed in the morning. Like, I don't know why I do it anymore. I don't know if you've ever had that day. I've had that day. Well, this time of year, seasonal affective disorder. Oh, yeah, yes. <laughs> I mean, it, it affects people. Yes, literally. absolutely. It sure does. Darkness. Yep. And, it's, and it's that reminder. You know what's funny is the reminder <clears throat> of when you feel most drained, it's that um, when you give yourself for the sake of others, how much more you're filled. Yes. You know, it's kind of, so I'm, I'm giving you a preview of my sermon for next week Sunday. Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's on, it's on that section of Micah, right, that I said, you know, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with the Lord. Why does it feel like I have to give more of myself to somehow get filled? Mm-hmm. When, when at that point I say, I got nothing left. And it's like, God, God's got great plans for you. Um, Galatians chapter 1. Let's go to that. Because this is the opposite now. This is where Paul's going to say the opposite of what he's saying over here. Why is the question. I keep looking at that clock. That, that messed me up bad last week. <laughs> <laughs> so pull up Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 9 for me. I have it. Yeah. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed, as as we have said before. So now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Great. So the the way that you take both of these now, this is how I'm going to, because i got to go a little faster here. The way I speed this up is this. Adapt to all people, but the gospel adapts to no people. Does that make sense? The gospel applies to all people, but we don't change it. We don't adapt it. It's the same gospel all the time. Don't make it, well, you know, Jesus, gosh, he says, that's kind of harsh. I should probably, I don't know, change that. You know, I shouldn't tell people about that. And well, it's you get your milk toast Christ or your, your lawgiver Christ, right? The hammer of Advent or um, the... the the gentle, breezy lamb. Like, and Jesus is both, but, but neither. He is in the, he's, he is, he's them combined. Right? So don't change the gospel. Sometimes you got to change yourself, though. And that's what Paul's getting at. You know, to a Jew, I became a Jew. To the weak, I became to the weak. To those who were struggling, I walked alongside them in their struggles. And I struggled with them. It's not like, you know, he says, oh, you're, you're addicted to cocaine? I'll addict myself to cocaine so then I can be with you. He's not saying that. What he's saying is I walked alongside people in their struggles, and as their heart ached, my heart ached with them. Mm-hmm. That's what he's saying. And, and I learned about it, right? I learned about what they're going through, what, whatever the extreme may be. 
to the Jew, I became a Jew. He had a lot of Jewish knowledge, and he's like, oh, I can draw on this. If you've ever been, it's, it's funny, I'm looking at Dr. Bollinger over here, leader of like business <laughs> college, but if you've ever been in like a business course or anything like that, or a sales course, one thing they tell you is um, to establish rapport with somebody, establish common ground. Find common ground. What do I have common with you? What, where can we both meet together? Where can I meet you where you're at? Okay, did you ever became a Jew? That was easy. I got that. Um, I used to be Jewish, so let's hit, let's hit some Old Testament prophecy. Hey, cool. But now let me tell you about Jesus. To to the uh, let me see. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Uh, so that's being a Gentile. It's funny. Like they had this episode of the Chosen um, a couple days ago, where it was. Uh, Gosh, it was Gaius, right? This this mm-hmm. Roman who's sitting yeah. there and he's trying to establish common ground with Matthew and it's not working. Yeah. He's like, so, uh, did you go to the foot races last night? That one guy was really fast. Jews don't go to foot races. Oh. Um, so what else? I saw my mom. Oh, she's probably asking for grandkids. Actually, my mom hates me. It doesn't talk to me. Oh, okay, you see him strike out time and time and time again. Uh, but it's like, okay, with those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Even though I still have the love of Christ, it'd be like, Gosh, you know, I, I got I to gotta start talking with James. I know I want to connect with him. He loves baseball. Man, do I know nothing. But I could Google what's going on right now. And I could say, hey, how about that trade yesterday? And he'll talk for 30 minutes, and I'll just listen about this trade. And he'll think that I shared 30 minutes of conversation with him about this trade that happened in baseball. When in reality, I Googled it five seconds before we got <laughs> it. You know? And I'm like, if he asks one question deeper and he asks me what I think, I'm in trouble. You know? <laughs> so what do you think about it? Well, they're paying them a lot of money. <laughs> so you've been there, right? It's finding and establishing that common ground. I don't have to share the struggle with you, like be in that struggle, but my heart can be with you and that sort of thing. Great. Now, now I really got to move. We're doing great, everybody. This is the last part. Can someone read 24 through 27 for me? Do you not know... In a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an, imp- an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Great. Thank you very much. Um, it's funny, right up to that comma, uh, I discipline my body to keep it under control. That whole section that's like every athletic shirt that's out, every Christian athletic shirt, every like athlete that's, that's a student that wants a confirmation verse, they always pick this. And it's like, cool, like I get it, it's all right. But man, if you really knew the depth behind what Paul's talking about, this is so loaded um, in so many different ways. To review, right, this is Mythian Games, is Mythian Games. Something like that. I mentioned it before. But Ithmian. Ithmian, thank you. The Ithmian. Ithmian. I don't like saying it. It's hard on the tongue. Again, these are like the equivalent yeah. of the Olympic Games that happen on like the off years. So if you're going to be an Olympic runner, what kind of discipline does your body need to have? Pretty good. you you got to have a pretty hearty sense of self-control in particular. Right, self-control. That's if you don't have self-control, it hinders your success. Mm-hmm. If um, it's funny, I'm preaching on this tonight at five o'clock. One of the big parts behind it with self-control is the the desires of your heart will always win out. Mm-hmm. 
even above the things that you know. I know that I shouldn't eat a donut every day if I want to be an Olympic runner. I just shouldn't. Why? I get a sense of diet and training, but man, how much is that really my heart's desire because I eat a donut every day? I don't. I wish I ate a donut every day. I love donuts. Probably shouldn't wish that. But in that same sense, like, my heart's desire is going to win out. So if I keep, if I keep knowing I shouldn't do it, yet I do it anyway, mm-hmm. is my heart's desire good or is it sinful? Sinful. That's, and Paul talks about that all the time. I need something that's going to change what my heart's desire is. Mm-hmm. Yep. And as we're learning here, self-control isn't going to make it. Now, when I say self-discipline, and you even take discipline, discipline's often something enforced by others. Self-discipline, I, I tricked you with that question before. I don't know if it really exists. It's like, self-discipline would be like, okay, I know reading my Bible is good for me. Now, when is my heart's desire going to shift? Am I going to do it now? Or am I going to say, but I'd rather go watch TV. And I go watch TV. There's got to be, there's that little point there where it's like, Holy Spirit, I need just a, it, it doesn't have, it could be this much. It could be just a poke. But I need some help to go the right way. And I need that guidance from you, God. And that guidance is in your word. And sometimes it's at that point of desperation where I don't know where to go anymore. And then finally the Holy Spirit draws me to his word. And I go, okay, I get it. You know, it's moving on. And I tell people all the time, you'll read your Bible and you'll read something. You'll be like, I don't get, like, I don't get how this is actually helping. And it'll be three days later and, like, you'll go, oh, that's just like that one section from Corinthians. <laughs> you know? Oh, I get it. Oh, wow. Like, <laughs> tell people, you, you just be amazed. Um, my personal story is when I read my whole Bible for the first time, I thought something was going to change. Something was going to be different. Like, it was going to turn gold and, like, glow and give me, I was going to get a gold star on my chest. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I just felt like something was going to happen. And then nothing, like, happened. You know, when I was baptized as an adult, I was walking up the center aisle to the font, and I said, is the water going to burn, was the thought in my head. <laughs> and I know it's stupid, but I'm like, I'm like, that's dumb, Chris. What do you think? But what if it does? <laughs> just, just enough, like, something's going to happen. I'll tell you what, the water was a little cold. And I'm like, man, nothing happened until a few days later. Tell everybody, you know, when you water a seed that's underground, it has to germinate before you start sprouting through. Same way when I read my scripture every day. Same way when I finished the Bible for the first time. Same way when I was baptized, I didn't realize how it was just germinating under the surface and how much had really changed. And it was because of all these things that Paul's talking about. I had someone walk alongside me. Oh, man. Um, But yes, I'm going to (laughs) move on. Because uh, we move on over here at 926. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. Love that verse. What is it talking about? I don't you do this. Have a purpose. You don't do it without a purpose. Exactly. This is all, see how it's all coming together? I don't box as one beating the air. I'm always aiming for a knockout. I'm, I know that I'm in like a, a battle, whether it's spiritual, whether it's one of d- self-discipline and self-control with my own body. I do not run aimlessly. Even someone who's training, right, an athlete, runs with a purpose. I may have to get five miles in, but it's because my goal is to win a race. That's X amount of time from now. He's talking about a purpose, not that you have to win. Because it's not about winning the gospel. He's saying, you know, we're receiving a crown that's unperishable, he says. But I do it with a purpose. Paul goes through all this. 
with the, with the Jews, the, the, the Hellenistic Gentiles, the people who are weak. Uh, Jesus meets with the tax collectors. He meets with the sinners. He comes to them, um, came to a stable house maybe. Any of these different moments in the life of Christ, all these different moments in the life of Paul, they're all for a purpose. And I'll tell you verse 23 again. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. So when we talk about working out of response to something rather than working for something, right? I work out of response to the gospel. The gospel frees me from sin and frees me for service. In both of those, I got I to do this first. I discipline my body and keep it under control. This works if... Um, uh, do I have it? Do I have it? Please say I have it. I don't have it. Um, I'm going to turn to Luke chapter 18 for you. So I want to read this. Mm-hmm. This word only occurs one other time in its, in its Greek form in all of Scripture. And it's in Luke chapter 18. This is very cool. <clears throat> Let me see. thought maybe I had it on here. And not copy and paste it. <clears throat> That's fine. So we read over here to so Luke chapter 18. And you see it over here. It's... It's like, over here, Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. He told them a parable, Jesus, um, to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. So keep that, not lose heart. Like, do you feel like when it comes to self-discipline, self-control, when you're training, when you're on a diet, when you have a goal set before you, that you're just trying not to lose heart until you achieve it? He continues, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice. This next part is where this word occurs again in the Greek. Same word that Paul uses here talking about discipline. I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Keep that in mind. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So, to go from the beginning and end real quick in this parable, you know, to always pray and not lose heart because don't lose your faith. It's kind of the last part. He's saying, will God find faith on earth? So don't lose heart and continue to pray. What does the widow do to the judge here? Beats him down. Beats him down. <laughs> Beats him down. Another way to say it and the way it's kind of defined here is wear down his resistance because that's what this word really means, to wear down resistance. She wears down his resistance to her. Paul is saying, I discipline my body to wear down its resistance. Yeah, I wear down its resistance to what? To the gospel. To the gospel, to hearing the gospel. Time and time again, I have to wear down my resistance. I have to deny my own rights as an apostle to wear down my resistance, to not treasure the rights and the freedom, but to treasure the one who gave the freedom. And now, you Corinthians, I ask the same of you. We need to wear down your resistance to the gospel because you're too concerned about your freedom and not concerned about your brother and sister in Christ. Who needs your good works? God or your neighbor? Your neighbor. Your neighbor. Exactly. And that's where Paul's trying to get them to focus over here. 
And that's where I'll stop. I'll stop there. Because he's talking about disqualification. He's like, if I can't walk the walk and talk the talk, like, as I'm telling you to do, I'm disqualified as an apostle. Yet I'm not disqualified as an apostle because I choose to give up my right, like my Lord gave up his rights for my sake. And that's all First Corinthians chapter 9 with one minute left. Any very short questions? <laughs> it just reminds me of Job. So, you know, they yep. uh, Here's Job what I didn't need that, but <laughs> his neighbors needed the example. Mm-hmm. Even in our suffering, yep, even in our struggles, absolutely. God uses all things for the good of those who love him, called according to his purpose. purpose. And this section was about purpose. purpose, all about verse 23. It's amazing how the Bible is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> let's, bow our heads, let's bow our heads together in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time, and Lord, I thank you for the purpose you've given to us. As you've demonstrated for us, and you've given to us so abundantly, um, great faith, but also great blessings in the gospel. And you do all things that you could share the gospel for the sake of those who need to hear it. Thank you for sharing it with us today. And Lord, um, help us to, in that time of sanctification, of being more like you, to model ourselves after you in those moments where we need to deny ourselves, where we don't need to treasure our rights and freedoms, but to even give them up at times for the sake of those who are weaker in the faith, um, that we could be those who walk alongside them, that struggle with them, that hurt with them, um, all for the sake of their eternal life as well. So thank you for all you've given to us and help us to give to others. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. Mm-hmm.